To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. We're going to hear an announcement from James, who's going to come and talk to us. Thanks, Em. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yes, energy this morning. Let's go. Always, always appreciate the back and forth. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name's James Dawson, and I have the pleasure and privilege of pastoring Anchor Northern Beaches. Before we jump into the word, though, I want to give a few very important announcements. And particularly for this first announcement, if you want to do any Q&A, if you're like, this doesn't make sense, feel free to interrupt, because I think other people might be having the exact same question. So I just want to give you guys an overview of what's coming up pretty much from today until the end of January. These are some really important Sundays. So this Wednesday night, November 22nd, no GCs. We're having a worship night, 7.30 p.m. at the Hodgkinsons. It's a 31 Kalina Road, Eleanor Heights there. So take note of that. And also know that all of this stuff is on our Instagram, Facebook, Anchor Beaches. If you don't follow us, that's our handle, Anchor Beaches on Instagram and Facebook. Next Sunday, November 26th, is Celebration Sunday. So today's our last Sunday in 1 Peter. Celebration Sunday is where we stop and we celebrate all God's done throughout the year. We, we kind of sync it with Thanksgiving in America. So it's going to be an open mic time. We're going to hear stories about all God's been doing in our life and in our GCs. Then we'll have a few more normal Sundays. If you don't see a date here, we're going to be meeting normal 10, 10 a.m. at DYRSL. December 17th here, we're having a Nativity Sunday. Yes, Nativity Sunday. All the kids are going to be in. The kids are going to be driving the gathering, which is going to be fun and exciting. They're all been practicing. Kathy's been getting them rehearsing. We're going to have carols, big band. We're going to have a drum kit. First time making, having a drum kit at DRSL. Feel free to like get festive, you know, wear, wear a Santa hat or some tinsel. And that's going to be like our big kind of Christmas gathering. December 24th, which is the Sunday before Christmas, we're not going to be gathering here. So December 17 will be our final gathering at DYRSL. December 24th, we're going to meet at 4 p.m. at Warawara Lookout Reserve in Eleanor Heights. And we're going to have a picnic, so BYO picnic, and we're going to have some unplugged carols, which will be very exciting. December 31, so New Year's Eve, no gathering. Just to pause there, so why no Christmas Day or December 31 gathering? One big philosophy that we have here at Anchor is that the church isn't uh, an event to attend, but a people to belong to. So these rhythms where we don't formally gather at 10 a.m. in the RSL on the Sunday morning, there's still invitation for us to gather, 
have picnics, still connect with one another. Um, but I also think it's good, even for the rhythms of our church and having our teams have a rest to have a couple Sundays off. January 7, so the first Sunday of 2024, we're going to be doing a church at home, again at the Hodgkinsons, our, our Eleonora Anchor Beaches campus. So the Hodg- we mainly do it because they just they love hosting, but they've also just got a big house and they love having people through it. The purpose of that first Sunday is going to be purely social as well. So we're not going to have sermon or worship, just come. Hopefully it's good weather. Wear your swimmers. They have a beautiful pool and a spa there, and we're going to be having lunch afterwards. So January 7, we're going to have a social time, church at home. January 14, also at the Eleonora campus at the Hodgkinsons. This one we're calling Relaunch Sunday. Every three years for a church plant, for the first three years, they say it feels like you're relaunching the church. So even, we, even though we launched July last year, every new year it feels like, okay, we're starting this thing afresh because new people have joined, which is awesome and beautiful. So at the start of the year, we're just going to have a Sunday. This is going to be a Sunday where we kind of remind ourselves what our vision is, what our DNA is, and we're going to have some time here breaking off into our teams so we can all prepare, um, plan, and pray so we can come into 2024 at DIY RSL Prepared and revved up. And then January 21 will be our first Sunday back here. We're going to have a guest preacher, Mitch Everingham, our new church planning resident, joining us that Sunday. And then January 28 is our Vision Sunday, launching into the year. I'll be preaching a new series called Formed. We're going to have a a real focus on spiritual formation and becoming more like Jesus term one next year. So that was a whole lot of information. Some of you love it. You already planned. Some of you are like, I don't even know what's happening next week. That's okay. Go to Instagram, go to Facebook, chat to your GC leaders and put those dates in the calendar. A couple of more quick announcements. We're not going to be doing the live stream room anymore. Uh, Two reasons. The first reason is our plan is at the start of next year to launch a primary program which is very exciting. So at the moment, we have a preschool program that is manned for Kathy, and that second space has been for a live stream. But our, our goal is, and Kathy and the team are on track, to start a primary program, which is really exciting because I know some of you guys have been slogging it through young church with your kids' primary age, but that's coming. February next year, we're going to have a primary program. So I just want to acknowledge that that might be a transition for some of the young parents not having the live stream room. But I just want to encourage you... I, Welcome to use the space up the back. I love hearing the sounds of the kids playing up the back. Two more quick announcements. I have a baby coming imminently. My wife, I, I, I want to thank Damo. If the baby came before this, he was going to up, come up last minute. Damo, you're all good. I'll, 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 I'll preach today. Callan's uh, due. due. We're having another daughter in the next week. And so when the baby comes, we don't know when, I'm going to have two weeks of parental leave. And so two of the next three Sundays, I most likely won't be in the room. And Aaron, student pastor here, and also the elders, we've got a plan to make sure those Sundays are going to be excellent. Um, But I just want to make you guys aware of that. And I have full faith uh, in Aaron and elders and the rest of the team team, that the Sunday is going to be excellent. And I was also encouraged um, that often the Sundays I'm not here, the Spirit's still at work and the church flourishes. And Jesus is the chief shepherd, and often those Sundays are still special. So I just want to acknowledge that. And one more really important announcement is December 10. So that is three weeks from today. We're having Yana preaching. 
which is really which is really exciting. And one thing I just wanted to clarify is the elders, as we met last week, we are unified in Yana preaching, in not not only her doing it, but also her character and her giftedness to do that. And so I think I just wanted to clarify that. There's just in the leadership, we're just unified in Yana coming up to preach. I'm fully behind her. Um, one thing that has come up, I think, for this church, and this is on me, is over the next 12 months, I want to bring um, whoever's interested in the church on a longer journey about gender roles in the church. I think there's a bit of murkiness, and that's normal. A lot of you guys have come from different church backgrounds, um, and gender roles is a really big thing, and maybe culture is informing us more than scripture. Um, so there's a short-term thing of Yana preaching December 10, and elders here, and Matt Sparks, and Alnaldo, the kind of other anchor pastors are aware of it and supportive of it. So just aware that that's happening. But there's also a need for a long-term thing, I think, for our church, for you guys who want to come along for that theological journey. And that's it. Any questions about the dates coming up? Anything? Have I missed anything? Instagram, GC. I'm getting thumbs up. We get it. Worship night this week. That's the short-term one. No GCs. Wednesday night at the Hodgkins at 7.30. Come really expectant for that, for God to show up. Let's pray as we come into God's word. Father, we want to declare that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and the principality. So I just want to acknowledge the spiritual thing that's about to happen here as we open up God's word. We want to declare the name of Jesus and his blood over this space, over our hearts and his victory. And I pray that um, any barrier that we would have in our hearts, any burden that we're carrying that would inhibit us from seeing you clearer, Jesus, right now, I just want to pray against that. I want to pray against anything that would help us just to see you clearer and to live more like you now. And I pray as we open God's word that this would be a time of edification, of comfort, uh, that your people would be built up and equipped to live and follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we come to the end of our series in 1 Peter 5, Scandalous Witness. I've loved it. I think it's really been timely for our church. And we're coming to the, the last chapter, 1 Peter 5, and as I was preparing it, I was like, man, this is just relevant for us. You know, sometimes I open up a text and it's like, all right, I've got to do some hard work to bring that from this context to 2023 in Northern Beaches. This one is relevant for our church. Elders have just been appointed. They're in a city where they are the spiritual minority and they're getting a lot of pressure and persecution about their faith, the rise of secularism. And they're feeling the sense of spiritual warfare. They're not wanting just to do passive Christianity. They're feeling on the spiritual front lines that there is a very real enemy. So today, I sense the word is alive and there are timely things for us this morning. One quick caveat is, man, 1 Peter 5 is one of my favorite stretches of scripture. There's so many themes here. We, We see leadership humility, anxiety, persecution, eternity, spiritual attack. There's a whole sermon series on all of these topics. So I just want to say that, that there's just a lot to cover. And I feel like as Peter was writing this letter, he's like, how can I put as many principles and clauses in this letter as possible? But today, just for clarity and prayerfulness for where the church is at, I want to focus on two things in this chapter, leadership and spiritual warfare. 
So we're really going to zoom in on those things, leadership and spiritual warfare. And I think it's going to be a timely word for us. The context that this was written in was this increased levels of secularization, a hostility towards the gospel. And there's individuals in their churches, in their families that have been martyred, thrown in prison. So you can imagine that people that we're sitting next to, they just the next week they're not there. And Peter has consistently for the first four chapters focused and exhorted them to live within this environment, within this persecution, and maintain their hope in Christ. And what's really interesting, we get to this you know, climactic point of the chapter of the book, and he ends with talking about leadership. And he really focuses on leadership, and he focuses on unity and this, this mutual unified resistance against the enemy. And so I find it really interesting, but I also think it's very intentional because I think Peter is safeguarding the church and he's saying there is necessary godly leadership and unity within the body. And he concludes by emphasizing these things, godly leadership and a unified resistance against the work of the enemy is going to be what flourishes the church. We need godly leadership and we need a unified resistance against the enemy. So let's jump into it. We're going to be focusing on leadership to begin with. And 1 Peter 5 kicks off like this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who will also share in the glory to be revealed. So one thing, let's, as always with the word, we've got to put ourselves in the context of what's happening. One thing we need to realize is that these leaders were appointed in a specific way. The apostles would go out and train individuals like Paul and Barnabas who would then travel around the Roman Empire and establish churches in people's homes. Before leaving a town or a city, they would appoint leaders to oversee the church in that area. And these definitely weren't mega churches. Uh, There were people meeting in each other's homes, mostly with leadership within a local house church or most likely often a series of house churches. And so an example of this can be found in Acts 14, 23, when Paul and Barnabas appoint elders before they depart. Now, we're not going to go into the qualifications of elders. You can look at that in Titus and 1 Timothy. However, today's text deals more what to do once you're in leadership. What do we do once we're in leadership? What kind of leaders is the church meant to have? And I want us to use this text to glean leadership principles, to glean what is godly leadership look like. And scripture says that this is what it looks like to be a godly leader. So the first thing we see here, and you see, you see me put it in bold there, is leaders are meant to be a witness of Christ's sufferings. It's a really interesting word there. Uh, another way that that's... Uh, interpreted is that it's a it's a martyr it's someone who's bared witness to Christ's suffering and I think a really key thing that Peter's saying here is this is leaders have to have a level of intimacy and proximity with Jesus they have to they have to know Jesus they have to know Jesus they're not they're not strangers to Jesus they haven't heard about who he is from a distance they know who Jesus is this isn't just about us knowing the death and resurrection, but living intimately in communion with him from his death until he returns. 
with me. So leaders, we're not just meant to know about Jesus' death and resurrection, but we're meant to live in communion with it. And so I think we see here the first qualification for godly leadership is intimacy with Jesus. This word that Peter uses, witness, the Greek word for martyr, bearing witness, isn't usually observing or standing at a distance, but it's, it's being close. It's being a witness, being a martyr for who Jesus is. And I want to just say at the top that being, being a witness, being a martyr for Jesus, it's, it's costly. It's costly. I feel the weight personally. Um, and this is a very real context for one Peter. They're saying essentially it can lead to martyrdom. And you being not just a Christian, but you being a key leader can lead to martyrdom. And I don't know if you guys uh, have your finger on the pulse in what's happening around the church, especially the places that are persecuted. This is very real that in a gathering like this, in certain parts of the world, an official can just walk in and arrest the pastor. And we never see them again. That is the reality that some of the churches are living in. Even today, this isn't just a historical thing in 1 Peter. Can you imagine how dramatic it would be if a police officer walked in right now, put me on the ground, put cuffs on me, walked me out, you know, with my wife, my pregnant wife right here, and you guys never saw me again. You guys never saw me again. This is the reality that some of our brothers and sisters around the world are saying. And this is a reality that these Christians are living in in 1 Peter, and it's costly that you could be killed for your faith. Now, I want us to recognise, even though Sydney and Australia is rising in secularism and Christianity is on the decline, we do not experience the same level of persecution that 1 Peter context has, or places like China, for example. But it's still a good challenge for us. Are we, are we willing to be witnesses to Jesus? Are we willing to be martyrs for Jesus? And maybe it might not looking, look like putting our, our physical lives on the line, but what does it look like for us to stand up for Jesus? What does it look like to stand up for Jesus? The second thing that we see here in 1 Peter, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. So again, to the leaders, to the elders, it's so interesting. I love it when someone changes up language because I kind of get to reframe it. He uses the word shepherd. Isn't that so interesting? Of all the words he could use, another word for a leader is a shepherd. And I think this would have been so profound for Peter because if you remember John 21, after the resurrection and before the ascension, Jesus says to Peter, says to Peter three times, do you love me? And Jesus responds, feed my sheep. Then he asks, do you love me? And he says, shepherd my sheep. And then he says again, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep. So this shepherding metaphor would have been so profound for Peter. And Peter's passing that on to this church. These shepherds, you're meant to care and feed and tend for your flock. And this is something that shepherding, I think one of the best definitions I've seen of shepherding, shepherding is showing a fitting concern for each person in the church. A concern for each person in the church. They're not just focused on a few sheep and they're happy for the rest of you to go away. I just had this crazy image that we're in this sheep pen and I pictured this whole half of you getting up and wandering off and I was like, don't worry, I'm just going to shepherd you guys. There's a fitting concern over the whole flock. And so it's another beautiful image, another reminder of the leaders of the church to be shepherds, feeding 
tending, caring. And then Peter goes in this really cool little series of like what not to do as a leader and then what to do. He has these kind of comparisons. So be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing. Really interesting contrast here. Not because you must, not because you have to, white-knuckling, but because you are willing. So saying here, being a leader, you're, you're, there's a willingness. This isn't out of compulsion. There's a willingness. Uh, an example of this might be, you know, maybe many of you have felt this. Uh, you, you, you're assigned to lead a group of people, perhaps at work, a new management team, and you have to do it. <laughs> or you find another job. You know what I mean? You just, you just do it, often out of obligation. And I think there's, what we see here is that there's two ways that we can respond here, what spiritual, what, what godly leaders can look like. We're looking for willing leaders. And, and this is something that Callan and I often, often speak about. I, I come from a, um, a family of origin, my mother's Korean, where obligation is a big part of my narrative. I do things out of obligation because I have to. You know, this is my, my job description. I have to do it. But imagine, imagine if I come home with this idea, if I led the home like this or I led, led the church, this idea of doing things out of obligation, come home at the end of the day and it's one of those days I've decided to pick up flowers. You know, I'm having a good husband day. You know, I pick up flowers, I'm coming home, they're in the car seat next to me, I'm driving home, I'm like, yes, yes, Callan's going to be loved, it's going to be a good day. I knock on the door and I, she opens up my wife's there, and I give her the flowers. And she says, thank you, why did you give these to me? And I just said, oh, because I have to. <laughs> and I read in a book that's what a good husband does. How would she respond to that? She doesn't feel loved at all. Imagine a different scenario coming, because I'm actually willing, I want to, I'm saying, she's like, why did you give me flowers? Because it's because I love you. This is an overflow of how I feel for you. And I think this is what we're looking for. And often I think we're lacking in churches, in godly leaders, that there's a sense of willingness. I want to. You know, I, I get up here and there's a call out, hey, we, we, need, we need some GC leaders. We need some ministry directors. We need some people stepping up into eldership. And if you, hear, if you sense in your heart a willingness, a desire, a wanting to, I want to actually say that that's actually a sign of leadership. It's actually a sign of leadership. The second thing, Peter has another kind of contrast here of not because you must but because you are willing and then he says there you see they're not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve so a second pitfall here he's saying so don't do this for dishonest gain but eager to serve i think this is something that we all constantly need to remind ourselves that a posture of a leader is a servant. I don't know if you guys hear this. Maybe my, my, my ears have been so trained. But often if, if someone says to me, what kind of leader are you? As I hear the word leader and lead, I hear the word serve. So they're saying, oh, how are you leading your wife? I am interpreting that as how am I serving my wife? If someone asks me, how are you leading your church? I'm interpreting that as, oh, how, how am I serving my church? Because 1 Peter is making really clear here not pursuing dishonest gain, which is so we don't need. I don't need to. I don't need to drive that point in. That's all. That's a lot of what we see in the secular narrative. We we get into positions of leadership for personal gain. 
You know, I, the only reason I'm going to take promotions is I get more money and I get to build my empire. And Peter's flipping this here, saying, no, we want to see leaders that are eager to serve. I was listening to a preacher this week on this same passage and he had this great line, leaders, do not trade this promise of eternal honour for a few crumbs of temporary status. This is what he's saying. You know, when we use our status and our power for dishonest gain, and man, sadly, haven't we seen that in the evangelical church the last few years? What do they gain? They might have had a few good years, and there is just this wreckage, wreckage of people behind them. What do they gain? Except if you have a posture of a servant, there's this promise of eternal honour. Do not trade the fleeting status for the eternal honour that you have. Our society encourages leaders for the sake of building your own empire, accumulating wealth, prestige, influence. Peter is flipping this and he's saying, advocating for the exact opposite. Don't lead out of those reasons. Lead out of a desire to serve. Lead out of a desire to serve. I wonder if you guys have that barometer as you guys are discerning leaders, even in your workplace, but particularly in the church. Like, do they have a desire to serve? They're not just in this for status. They actually have a heart to serve. Peter continues to elders, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So the third pitfall he identifies here is that sometimes we lead because we feel like we have to. And he's saying, no, they've been entrusted to you. Do this as an example. And this text is really powerful. It says, not lording it over them. I don't know what comes to mind when you think of lording, someone lording it over you, but I think it's exactly what comes to mind for you. It's someone that picture like putting your thumb down on them, you know, putting, putting your, your foot to the throat. That's what it is. There's, there's a lording over them. That's what we see here. And I actually think this idea of lording, I think the, the, the current readers in 1 Peter in the Roman Empire would think of Caesar, their lord. You know, they're supposed to be lord. They're thinking of Caesar and Nero. He, he led with power and blood and murder and, and fear. And he's saying, no, in the church, we don't want to have anything like that. You're not lording it over to those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And I love, as we've recently appointed elders, and as we've seen 1 Timothy and Titus, the, the biggest qualification for eldership is character. It's how they live. It's how they live. You can, you can have leaders that... And they sneak into the church. They might be good public speakers and, you know, they have a good website or they have a bit of charisma, but they're saying no character, the hidden things. How they love their family. Are they generous? Are they hospitable? Are they slow to anger? This is what we're looking for in leadership. And this is quite profound when he says, what's the, the motivation for this? Where do we get the power and the motivation to lead like this. It says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And just personally for me, as I preach through 1 Peter, the biggest personal takeaway has been how little I think about eternal life. That's just a theme right from the start. This is the idea of like Jesus coming, Jesus will... Just newsflash, especially if this is your first time in church, Jesus is coming back. Amen? He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back for us. Amen? It's good news. 
He's coming back. And then after that, heaven will come down to earth and there will be no more evil, no more death, no more sin because those things will be passed away and we're going to live in perfect union. You picture your best day. You picture your best holiday. You picture your best moment, whatever that is. Maybe it's peaceful. It's quiet. You're with the people that you love. That is 0.01% of how shalom and peaceful and calm eternal life with Jesus will be forever. And this is saying that this is Jesus is giving us a chance to be these, type, these, these types of leaders. This is the motivation for being this countercultural way. There's going to be a crown of glory that's coming. And Peter says that we will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And if we lay down our lives... Even this context becoming like martyrs, if we lose everything for following Jesus, he will give us honour and glory. Tim Chester commenting on this text said, whether it is money or time or leadership, the key is hope. Those who lay up treasure in heaven are typically typically generous with their treasures of earth. Those who live for eternity are free to give time to costly discipleship. And leaders who live for the crown of glory that will never fade serve willingly and eagerly. This is all about hope. For us to truly try and be leaders that are eager and willing and servant-hearted, there's no point doing that because you have to or white-knuckling. We're doing this because there's this, a crown of glory, a hope coming where Jesus will make all things new. So my question here, just at the halfway point, elders in the room, GC leaders, ministry directors, how are you imitating Jesus in your leadership? That's my question to you this morning. How are you imitating Jesus in your leadership? Let's move on to the next point that Peter makes that's linked to leadership. And he says here, sorry, we're shifting gears now, thinking about spiritual warfare. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world are going through the same suffering. So Peter, he's covered leadership. He's covered what characteristics of godly leadership now. And this is super interesting. He progresses to talk about spiritual warfare. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Why is this so important? Because we see here we have an enemy like a roaring, roaming lion. I just want to state right at the top here, really quite clearly and obviously, there are some kind of branches of Christianity that might not emphasize the role of the enemy and that that we have an enemy. But I think as we read the New Testament and here at Anchor Beaches, there is a very real spiritual warfare happening, a very real one happening. And I totally get it. We live in a secular age that's all about trusting what you see and, you know, the physical things that are in front of us. And because we can't see it, we're therefore told that it must not be real. And the New Testament is clear that this is happening. And he's saying, be sober, be alert. 
One of the, the most important things that I want to point out here is this language of be alert and of sober mind and resisting standing firm in the faith because you know, I just want to focus there on the you. The Greek here is all plural, so it's saying y'all. Forgive me for the American accent. Saying y'all, a lot of the New Testament's written in that. When we see you, it's actually the, or more Aussie bogan, like yous. How yous going, mate? You know, how y'all going? So a really important thing, you guys might have read this scripture and you're doing your personal devotion and it's you just in your bedroom and you're like, oh, I need to stand firm. I need to resist the devil. But when one Peter's, what Peter's saying here is he's saying y'all. Y'all need to be alert and of sober mind. Y'all need to resist and stand firm together. And this plural language is so important because he's saying to the collective, man, some of you might be walking, standing here right now, you're like, I don't have the spiritual willpower to kind of stand up where I'm at right now. And that's when a brother or sister comes alongside you and says, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to intercede for you, I'm going to speak truth over you. That's when we need the y'all, the yous, to stand firm and resist the devil together. Because, man, this is crucial. Any of you guys watched a bit of, like, National Geographic? You guys seen some of the animal docos? Give me a nod or a yes, you've seen an animal doco. You guys ever seen a lion come up to its prey? Often if the prey, let's choose, like, an antelope today. I've seen some wild stuff. Often if it's on its own, what's the lion going to see? Singular, on its own, vulnerable. So the lion can attack. But man, if a lion comes up to a pack of antelope, and let's do like 50 antelope just for the sake of the metaphor, there's, there's a collectiveness. There's a collective power together. So I think we need to stand together more in spiritual warfare. And if we see someone going through spiritual warfare, we see them, there's just an oppression over them or they're just like hell is just broken out. You guys ever experienced that person? Hell's just broken out over their life. Everything's chaos. We can't stand back and text them these verses, say, be alert, be alert and sober-minded. Resist the devil. It's like, no, we're going to step in and y'all, use. we are going to resist and stand firm together. Jesus in John 10 describes the enemy is going to steal, kill and destroy that's what the enemy's coming to do, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so this enemy that we're facing, we don't, we don't live in this neutral world and saying we need, we need to have the unity and the tools to resist the works of the enemies. And I just want to see here that the, the, the clues are always in the text. We see here, be alert and of sober mind. So the first thing that we need to do is actually be alert. I just think that's a massive battle for us. Because what are we? We're distracted. We're not alert. We're distracted. Some, I don't know, someone's trolling me. I'm getting texts even as I'm preaching. I feel like, like even, I don't know if it's someone in the church, but someone's trolling me. But I'm like, even right now, I'm getting distracted. I'm the opposite of alert. I'm not alert. This is the first thing that's happening here. Be alert. Be watching. Leaders in particular. Elders, GC leaders, ministry directors, you need to be alert. You need to be watching with your people. Are there any of our sheep being attacked by lions? 
I don't know if you've ever uh, had, the, had someone do this to you and you've felt under that spiritual attack, you've never verbalized it with someone, but you walk into GC, you walk into a Sunday gathering like this and someone just comes up to you maybe halfway through, maybe at the end and just say, hey, can I just encourage you with something? I've just seen that you're, ca- you're carrying this heavy weight. I just want to encourage you that you are loved and Jesus is for you. Have you guys ever had that kind of, we use a language here, it's kind of like a prophetic word. Someone who does it to me all the time, Sam Lee's an elder here. I know Sam has a posture when he walks up towards me. It's not relaxed. He kind of marches up towards me. And I'm like, I'm getting it. I'm getting some spiritual uplifting right here. I'm getting some tools. And we need it. He's like, hey, man, I just want to, I just want to encourage you that you're loved. Jesus is for you and his victory is over your life. And you just, you just need that sometimes. I want us to sow that into our culture on Sundays in our GCs that we need to be alert. We need to be alert and aware together, collectively protecting one another from spiritual warfare. And the second thing we see here is resist him and standing firm. I actually think this is quite profound language. There's a, there's a picture of almost... Uh, I like the picture of a, d- a big, thick oak tree with deep roots. It's like, we're, we're going to resist. We're going to stand firm. No matter what storm comes towards me, I'm not going to be swayed here. When things are falling apart, when hell is breaking loose, there's a resistance. There's a standing firm. James 4, 7 picks up the same thing. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we stay unified and resist the devil, he will flee from you. I actually think one of the most profound things that we, how we can do this in standing firm in our faith is actually reminding ourselves of what our identity is. Generally, you know how many lies you guys get about who you are and what your compass is and we need truth spoken over us. I had one of the most beautiful GCs on Tuesday at Belrose. Uh, I had the joy of leading Belrose Gospel Community. And one of our newer members, M, shared her story. And she said the turning point of when she came to faith was she had a non-Christian boyfriend. And she was at this crossroads in her faith and in her life. And there was a moment when the boyfriend was speaking to her about who she is. So he was breaking up and he was just speaking these lies, this uh, evil over her, saying, this is what you are, this is who you are, because you don't do this, this is who you are, this is how your friends perceive you. And she had the most profound language as she said that. And it was the moment she was like, oh, I just, the Holy Spirit protected me. As she was hearing it, she had this internal voice saying, no, this isn't true. As you're saying this to me, something's off here. This doesn't feel true. And that was, that was the turning point. That was when she came to faith. And it's just so profound when we think about the ways where we can come up to people and give them truth about who they are in Jesus. And for us to truly actually resist and stand firm is speaking identity over us. Now, New Testament gives us so many other ways. You know, Ephesians 6, this beautiful idea of putting on the armor of God you know, memorizing scripture so it's in our blood, in our marrow about who we are, you know, capturing all these lies and submitting them to Jesus. New Testament obviously gives prayer, personal prayer, but collective prayer about how we resist and stand firm. And so we're going to do it this morning. 
We're going to shift into some ministry time. And, man, I have no doubt that there is some stuff going on in every single one of our lives here and that we need some resistance and we need some standing firm. So I'm going to invite the band up and we're just going to transition into a time of ministry. I've realized uh, I actually think I need to give more clarity about what ministry time is. I think you guys that have been around for a while I kind of picked it up. And you might have come from church backgrounds where you're like, oh, we finished the sermon, but then we normally sing because I'm already thinking about morning tea and getting and picking up the kids. I just want to say this ministry time, in my vision of what the gathering is, is the most important part of the gathering. As my sermon finishes, God begin, God's sermon begins. I can't possibly know everything that's going on in your hearts But as we shift into ministry time, God knows everything that's happening. And James says, I don't want us to be merely hearers of the word and deceive yourselves, but doers. So how is this word, as it's spoken over us, as we've received it, how is this going to bear fruit and apply to our lives? And I want to ask us a very simple question but I think quite a profound one. What areas of your life do you need to resist the enemy? What areas of your life do you need to resist the enemy? What area of your life do you need to be alert and then to resist? I remember hearing a preacher share his story about losing his father when he was a teenager. And as he was standing at the casket of his father, and you can imagine the weight and the emotion and the overwhelmedness, his uncle, his Christian uncle, whispered into his ear, just stand. Just stand, young man. And that's kind of been a mantra for him, that when life is getting hard for us, when we just feel overwhelmed and hell is broken out, that we can resist, that we can stand. So invite the prayer team, those of you guys are aware, use some space to the side. So in ministry time, we can respond in a few ways. We're going to respond in song together. Do you know how powerful it is? This is the one time in the week where we get to collectively, y'all, use all, we get to sing together. And I actually think it's one of the most powerful ways we have this unified resistance against the work of the enemy. We're standing up and we are declaring this truth, not only to ourselves, but we're declaring it over one another and we're declaring this up to God. So we're going to respond in that way to sing. Another way you might want to respond in this time is to use the prayer to the side. So Nick and Tash, Sam's going to be there. I'll also be on this side. And you're welcome to receive prayer. If you, anything that's going on in your life, there's sickness, there's something weighing you down, there's relational stuff going on, things going on at work, anything that's going on in your life, this team would love to pray for you. I often want to picture ministry time is this is the time that we are, we're getting tooled up. We're replenishing our tools to do life, to do this spiritual warfare. This is the time where we get to remind ourselves of identity, get given the right tools, not the wrong tools, to do this life. So I'm just going to invite you guys to stand. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to shift into ministry, into song, and into prayer.
Yeah, King Jesus, we want to declare that you, when you were crucified and you were resurrected and now ascended on the throne, that you have defeated the enemy. He is a fallen foe that is desperately doing anything before your return to draw people away from their truth. So we just want to declare, Jesus, your victory. I just want to declare Jesus' victory over anyone in this room. And Holy Spirit, right now, as you make us aware of yeah, the, the ways that we need to be alert and to resist the work of the enemy, I pray that we would just let that come to the surface, that we wouldn't ignore it. And Lord, as, as we sing, as we declare truth, as as, as yous, as y'all sing, that we would have this unified resistance of the enemy together. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just come upon every person in this room. Help us see you clearer, Jesus, as we sing and pray in your name. Amen.